Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone. I'm recording this on the 10th of March, 2018. The Kickstarter is one third of the way through. We're doing well, but there's still a long way to go. So today, I thought I'd just jog the memories of anyone who needs them jogging about the House of War. One of the key rewards in the Kickstarter are three bonus episodes based on the fictional story I created back in episode 89. For anyone who doesn't really remember that episode, here is a replay. And if you enjoy it, please consider pledging for the Kickstarter to get three more episodes like it exploring in further depth what it would be like to live in Anatolia under the threat of an Arab raid. I think the episodes will be really good, but uh, see if this uh, reminder does anything for you. 20 days to go. Please check out the Kickstarter at thehistoryofbyzantium.com. You are standing on top of a wall, staring into the distance. You're sure you can see something. The morning light is only a few minutes old, so you're squinting hard. It could just be birds? No. You're increasingly sure that the movement you see is the enemy on the move. Dust is rising on the horizon and the number of small black dots you can make out must be an army. You call for your commander to be woken. Your paranoia over disturbing him needlessly now overtaken by the fear gripping your whole body. He climbs the ladder to the top of the fort. You point. He looks. He turns to you. Go now, on the road to Lulon, as fast as you can. Head straight for the fort by the ridge and tell the Dekarc there to send out riders immediately. What are you waiting for? Go! Now! Hello everyone, and welcome to the History of Byzantium. Episode 87. The House of War. 
Stones fly as you scramble down the craggy path that leads to the road. Despite your commander's words, you did pause to fill a flask with water and stuff a large biscuit into your bag as you raced out the door. Naturally, you're also carrying your sword and shield. The road is no more than a path amongst the weeds and rocks, cleared by the tread of centuries of human traffic. You stare at it as you jog, careful not to stumble. You can't afford to fall and hurt yourself. You are the first part in a relay which must reach the Stratigos of the Anatolikon theme. He has to know that the Arabs are coming. They are headed for the Cilician Gates. As you run, your mind is full of thoughts. How big was the raiding party? Impossible to tell at that distance. But you can't convince yourself to let it go. What if it's a huge army with siege equipment? What if they're going to capture your watch post and enslave you? What if they torture you for sport? You curse your own luck. This is only your fifth time on watch duty. Why did the Saracens have to come this way? Of course, your father told you that nine times out of ten, they don't attack isolated forts. It's a waste of their time, and dangerous, as this slippery path makes clear. But what about that one time? What if that's now? The fort by the ridge is over four miles away. Why were you asked to run? Surely it would have been better to send someone by horse. But you know the answer even as your mind searches for someone to blame. The horses can't gallop along uneven roads like this. They might slip and throw their rider. No, it's up to you to run as fast as you can so that the news can reach a stable on one of the main military roads. Wheezing and covered in sweat, you arrive at the fort by the ridge. If you didn't know it was there, you might miss it, the entrance concealed by what could be mistaken for an empty cave. As you approach, a voice calls out, Stop there! Don't move! You assume an arrow is aimed at you. You don't look up. You just reply breathlessly, The Saracens are coming. The Cilician Gates. I've come to start the relay. You hear the sound of movement, but then silence. You look up but can't see anyone. You climb the rocky path toward the cave entrance, and as you slowly clamber up, you're almost knocked down by a soldier barging past you. Look out, he cries, and then idiot rings up from the rocks below as he scrambles down to the road. Another soldier runs past you as you enter the cave, and then another. The relay is now in effect. One of them will reach Lulon, the nearest fully armed castle in the defensive network. There, the Tormach will begin making preparations for how best to resist the raid. You just want to lie down. At the back of the cave, daylight streams. From the road it looks like a cave, but it's actually a tunnel which leads out to open ground on the other side of the hill. There, a wooden fort has been constructed. You make your way into the soldiers' living area and slump against the wall. Troops are scurrying about around you. You hope that no one will notice so that you can rest before trekking back to the front line.
the terrible prospect of facing down an Arab assault is settling inside you. You close your eyes. An hour passes. You start to feel guilty that you've rested for so long. You seek out the commander of the fort to register your departure when Alexius arrives. Alexius is second in command of your fort. He's also a cavalry officer, so you're doubly surprised to see him there. He must have run. Someone else must be leading his horse slowly down the road. Alexius announces that it's a large raid, possibly as high as 10,000. Our fort will operate with only a skeleton crew. This fort is too exposed and must be abandoned. He looks at you. We're heading to Lulon. This is your second year serving in the Roman army. You're from a small village in the Taurus Mountains. Your father was a simple infantry soldier, and you inherited his obligation when he died. Every few months the call will come for you to travel to one of the forts or watchtowers and spend fifteen days gazing across the barren but beautiful landscape. Well, it's supposed to be fifteen days. Usually the relief soldiers are slow to arrive and not apologetic. Although the Saracens come raiding every year, the frontier is hundreds of miles long. No one in your village has ever been attacked and you've only briefly seen the enemy before. All of this is new to you. You're now separated from your banda, your regiment. You're supposed to fight together when on campaign, but Alexius explains that those on active watch duty during a raid can be assigned to new units. As you arrive at Lulon, night is falling. You've had one flask of water and one biscuit all day. You're tired and stressed out. Initially, you were relieved to realize that you wouldn't be on the front line. But now you face the anxiety of the unknown. If you'd stayed at the fort and the enemy had marched past, then that would be it. In theory, you'd have been safe to stay inside until they headed back to Syria. But now you could be sent anywhere you could end up having to face them in battle. Worse than even that prospect, you soon realise that Lulon is about to become the front line. If the Arabs intend to capture a fortress, it's much more likely to be here than your tin-pot little shack in the mountains. We have less than 48 hours before they will be here in force. You're sent scrambling up distant hills, plucking unappetizing berries and overripe fruit from every tree you can reach. The approach of the Arabs, when it comes, is truly intimidating. The fort at Lulon is perched high up on a hill, and so you can see their column trailing miles away into the distance. There are a 109 of you crammed into this hole. You actually find the endless swearing and complaining comforting, at least compared to the horrible silence that descends when Saracen cavalry begins circling us. One man in the corner is whispering to himself. He's counting the enemy army. You hear him say 2,000, and then half an hour later, 3,000. Some of the Arabs blow kisses at us. Others make less friendly gestures. 
Fortunately, it seems that they're going to pass us by. A column of horsemen already went racing off ahead of the rest, and the others keep a close watch on us as their foot soldiers and pack animals move slowly past. They take all day to get clear of us, and we'll be guarding the road if we attempt to follow. You ask Alexius where they're headed. Tyana, he says, a city not that far from here. Though, he elaborates, that's just the direction they're going in. They probably won't try to sack the city. They may ask for protection money, but they'll certainly raid the countryside around it, and most likely they'll launch themselves further northeast toward the more exposed villages along that route. They'll be trying to take as many slaves and as much livestock as they can get their hands on before they head home. The final count is about 6,000 raiders, not quite as terrifying as the 10,000 predicted, but still a very significant force. Since we're no longer under threat, most of us stay put and wait for orders from these Tratigos. Some of the cavalrymen set off to shadow the raiders. Their job is to keep the back of the Saracen force always in sight. Another relay of messages will come back to the Tormark, and he in turn will set up a relay to the Stratigos. At all times we need to know where they are and where they might be headed. Over the next week, Alexius and the other officers put us through our paces. This is mainly weapons training and basic discipline. The few hundred men gathered here are from very different backgrounds and levels of experience. You have never been on campaign. You practiced with a spear and sword with your father, of course, but even competing with the other boys in the village is nothing compared to the physical exertion of training in the hot sun all day. It's extremely hard work, and your body is stiff each morning from overusing muscles you usually don't use at all. You are incorporated into a new unit, and practice basic maneuvers together. Keeping your shields locked, protecting the man on your left, responding to blasts from a horn. One morning, Alexius asks you to form up, and then hops on his horse, and trots a good hundred meters away. Suddenly, the horse rears up, turns, and charges at you. Your instinct is to get out of the way, but your Decarc yells for you all to lock shields and stand fast. Alexius is bearing down on you, and you find yourself inching backwards. His horse then effortlessly turns about ten meters away from you and gallops around your small unit. You and three other soldiers visibly collapse from your stance, and one begins to throw up. The rest of the unit begin laughing, but your Decarc turns on you, yelling at you for losing discipline and letting down your comrades. You're drained and dispirited. This parade ground trick has exposed just how green you are. How will you ever be ready to fight in a real battle? Soon, word comes from the Stratigos. Another skeleton crew will remain at Lulon, while the rest of you move on to Tyana. Alexius tells you that you will accompany him, essentially being his squire for the duration of the campaign. You'll still be part of the infantry unit, but you'll also have to gather fodder for his horse and do other menial jobs. 
it's your own fault. Having spent a couple of weeks in Alexis's company back at the gates, he was the only officer you knew. So during training, you asked him some stupid questions, which have clearly led to him thinking you're in need of some seasoning. Alexius was born near Amorium, the headquarters of the Anatolicon theme. His father was a senior officer working directly for the Stratigos. Alexius is just putting time in on the border before promotion will carry him elsewhere. He is a professional soldier. You asked him why the Romans don't station armies at Lulon, ready to fight the Saracens when they appear. He looked on your ignorance with kindness and explained that fighting the Arabs head-on was madness. They are strong and fast and dangerous. If we make a stand here and die, then what? Who's going to stop them from killing and raiding? The Emperor, you offer feebly? Alexius scoffed. Fat chance. The Emperor's only mount a horse if the enemy's already wounded and crawling toward his grave. Over that week, you'd learnt plenty. Apparently, the Anatolicon might not even be able to raise 6,000 troops to match the Arab raiding party. And even if they could, they still wouldn't fight them, for fear that another Saracen force might appear from nowhere and surround them. Instead, the best the Stratigos could offer was to stalk the raiders and perhaps pick off a few dozen here or there if their greed took them too far from the safety of their camp. Now, on the road to Tyana, you ask, what about the people? All those villages on the road ahead? They've all been warned, Alexius tells you. The relay which you began has by now reached every fort within a hundred miles. The soldiers there will ride out to the villages and warn them that the Arabs are coming. The local people can then flee to safety and hide. Your mind struggles with this, though. You've seen the inside of four different forts now, none of which could hold many civilians. Alexius concedes that many people will simply hide in forests, up a mountain, or in their local monastery and hope for the best. You're appalled by this. Why are we sitting here doing nothing when these people are so vulnerable? We're being smart, Alexius said. Once the Saracens make their way home, our chance will come. They will be weighed down with booty, slaves and livestock. They will be tired. They will be distracted. They will be keen to get home. We will lie in wait for them and strike when their guard is down. You're saddened by the dishonor of it all. We're going to let people be killed and raped and robbed and only raise an arm in their defense when the enemy's back is turned. Alexius becomes exasperated with you. This is the only way to succeed. We can't afford to lose many men. We have to attack only when we have the advantage. Why, you ask? Because this is all we have, he says, pointing to the hundred men marching alongside us. They have millions of men to call upon, all desperate to die here fighting their enemy. We kill one, another ten come running the next spring. All we can do is make their exit as painful as possible, so they'll try a different spot in the future. Why would they want to die here, you ask? Because this is the house of war. 
As we arrive at Tyana, we are reinforced by about 500 troops sent from Iconium. The Arabs have passed through Cappadocia and are raiding around the city of Caesarea. We will be following slowly behind them. We're ordered to make camp for the night. You've never helped prepare a full military camp before. Scouts had already been out north of Tyana to pick a good spot near a river. Then soldiers went out and marked the ground. Your unit is assigned a line and begins digging. You dig a ditch and pile up the earth on the inside of the line. Once the ditch is deep enough, you stamp down the earth to make it into a makeshift ramp. Your unit then plants spears and shields into it. They can act as a barrier, and you can always pull them out of the dirt if you need to leave quickly. You're told that if we were staying for more than a night, then you'd have to fashion stakes and use them instead of your weapons. You then pitch your tents and organize your beds for the night. Again, the campground has already been marked out. Each unit is assigned a special spot, which would be theirs for the duration of the campaign. The commander's tent would be in the middle, and the camp was divided into four quadrants, separated by a centrally crossing path leading to the exits. These were always guarded, and you needed a password to get in and out. Apparently, this had been Roman tradition for centuries. As you were flinging dirt over your shoulder, you thought more about what Alexius had said. The Saracens' religion apparently offered them an express trip to heaven if they died fighting in the house of war, as in Romania. Killing their enemy was a holy mission. Between that and all the looting, you could see why they kept coming year after year. Their realm is the house of peace, but it all sounds barbaric to you. As we march further north, though, you can see that house of war, if nothing else, is an accurate description of our land. Villages stand empty. Houses have been ransacked. The trees are all picked clean, fields trampled to mud. Stray sheep and goats appear on the path. The rest of their flocks have been taken. You realise how lucky you are to live in such an isolated place. Your poverty and obscurity is protection against this kind of attack. You also begin to understand Alexius's irritation at your questions. We, the people of Cappadocia and the mountains, are being left to be relentlessly mauled year after year with no end in sight. The emperor doesn't want to risk the men who protect him, so he stays away. Alexius can see how unfair this is. He feels guilty for admitting to you how little the authorities are willing to do to protect your family. And yet, he's hoping to become one of them. Why wouldn't he? Why would he want to stay here when he could serve in the capital? Word has come from the Stratigos. The bulk of his forces are going to block the raiders' path so that they can't go any further west. The Saracens will probably decide they've had enough and head for Melitene, an Armenian border fortress just inside the Caliphate's territory.
According to Alexius, this is all part of our strategy. Men will have been shadowing the Arabs the whole way, and thanks to years of experience, predicted their likely path home. Our band of 500 soldiers are now the closest to the frontier. We're ordered to trek over the mountains and establish likely ambush sites. Once again, you're terrified. Most of those who joined you at Tayana are experienced troops. They've been here before. They know how to track, to lie in wait, to pounce. To them, the Saracens are like mountain lions, and they are hunters, ready to bag their prey. You were more than happy to simply follow behind and play the skivvy, but now you will most likely be involved in an attack. A week passes as you trek through the hills. You come across farmers and monks. Like your family, they live in remote areas and don't seem affected by the war zone to the east. Alexius tells you sternly to lie to anyone you meet. Our official story is that we are heading much further north, to Sebastea. You are told that no one can be trusted with the truth, not even a monk. If the enemy come this way, they will ask questions. They may even torture someone if they believed there was important information to uncover. Or, more shockingly to you, Romans were known to sell information directly to the Arabs, actually seek out their convoys and tell them where troops were hiding. Once you reached the road to Melatine, your officers were scrupulous. Every path in the vicinity was checked, every stream was garrisoned, every scrap of food was gathered. Lookouts were posted atop every outcrop. You spend days tediously exploring every point where the road could be easily attacked from the cliffs overlooking it. Finally, they settled on an ambush site. It would be where the road narrowed and twisted a bit. A few hundred metres further on from that point, there was a smooth incline leading up into the cliffs. These two spots of terrain combined were an excellent find, according to Alexius. Now you had to track the raiders and wait to see if they would come this way. It was likely they would, but it was possible that all of this work would be for nothing. It was even possible that you could spend a week watching them and never actually launch the ambush. It all seemed so futile. Alexius ordered you to go with the scouts and watch the Arabs for two days. He's determined to provide you with the experience you lack. Time and again, he says you must learn everything for yourself so that you can teach others. Again, everything operates on a relay. The best scouts would put on a dark cloak and get so close to the Saracens that they could hear them talking and their horses whinnying in the night. Further back would be another man watching that scout, further back still would be another, and so on. Your detachment weren't going to get anywhere near that close. You just needed to be ready to confirm that they were going to take the road to Melatine. When you reached the foothills near the main military road, you made contact with a scout from the Anatolikon. He told you that the Saracens were dividing their forces. The main body would come your way, but about a thousand cavalry had split off and gone raiding back towards Tyana. You feel a pang of fear, 
that unlikely as it seems, they might find your village on their route home. You snap out of it, though, as your companions tell you that this is good news. This weakens their force. They will be a little thinner on the ground, a little easier to attack as they come your way. The Anatolicon forces were snapping at their heels. The Arabs were being pushed to move faster. They would be tired, anxious, careless. You spend the next day waiting for their scouts to appear, and once they do, several of you race ahead to warn Alexius and the others. You take up positions and are hidden high up in the hills overlooking the road. Your campsite is miles from anywhere because it has to be entirely concealed by one of the great hills. If the Arabs see a whiff of smoke, they may close ranks and nullify all your work. A few days later, you're allowed up onto the edge of the cliffs to catch a glimpse of them. You can see the 4,000 or so strong force winding slowly down the road toward you. Now you see why this tactic has developed. The Arabs are pushing sheep and cattle ahead of them. Their slow pace makes the whole force incredibly vulnerable. But then again, they outnumber you ten to one, so you're not feeling anything but fear. They make camp a couple of miles from the ambush site. Alexius tells you that this is ideal. He's going to let three quarters of the Saracen force pass before launching the attack. The narrow, twisty part of the road will be an ideal choke point for the infantry to use. Panic will ensue, and hopefully the soldiers will begin fleeing down the road, leaving prisoners, livestock, and goods behind. The incline a little further on will allow Alexius and the rest of the cavalry to then make a sudden appearance, cutting off any attempt at a counterattack and hopefully slaughtering some stragglers. The colour drains from your face as it all becomes reality. Even though you are to be in the last rank of the infantry, the least exposed to the enemy, you know that you're not ready for this. The day dawns. You didn't sleep. You put on your gear. You only have a light helmet padded with felt, your father's old leather chest protector, and that's it. You look enviously at Alexius, putting on his leather armor, metal helmet, and leg greaves. He's also wielding a small mace, a saber, and a lasso. You look dubiously at your own small circular shield and sword. Some of the infantrymen carry spears, and archers set themselves up at strategic points. Alexius says that with the grace of God we shall emerge victorious, and then he rides off into the hills. You wait for what feels like three hours behind a tree in silence. You are racked with tension. Your fellow soldiers are nearby, similarly concealed. Suddenly, you see a few soldiers twitching in front of you. A couple of heads turn, and then suddenly, a horn blasts out, and everyone yells and charges forward into the thick undergrowth. You follow behind, knowing that beyond the trees at the foot of the hill lie the enemy. Already you can hear screaming and smashing and animal noises as you approach the road. Now figures appear in front of you. Here you go. (laughs) 
we are exiting our fantasy narrative there. I'll let you decide your fate. As I expected, plenty of your end-of-the-century questions focused on the Roman military. And the purpose of this episode was to draw your attention to the reality of army life in our period. Several of you wanted to know about tactics and weapons and manoeuvres, but really, pitched battles are not the daily life of the army anymore. Between 650 and 950, the most common military activity was this. Raid and counterattack, cattle rustling, border skirmishes with no formal battles. Next episode, I will go into some more detail and answer your questions directly. But the information I used to make this story was all taken from Byzantine sources. We don't have any actual accounts like this. No soldier from Eastern Anatolia wrote a memoir from which we can confirm the exact nature of their lives, but I thought I should piece one together for you. I know you enjoy hearing accounts of great battles, and I felt without some kind of dramatic narrative, it would be easy to gloss over the huge contribution that these people made to the life of Byzantium. Hopefully, this will stick in your memory and remind us all of the sacrifices they made to keep the rest of the empire safe. This is my first new episode after returning from my holiday. One of the first things I did when I got back was to catch up on the new season of The Walking Dead. For those listening in 2050, that's a TV show about the zombie apocalypse. And as I was preparing this episode, I thought about how life for people living in Cappadocia during a raid was not that different from people on that TV show. Now, obviously, take away the zombies. But once the Arabs came raiding, people abandoned their homes and went on the run. And in a 10th century manual of army tactics, a Byzantine writer explains explicitly what to do while you're watching the Arabs ransacking empty houses. So for a family living in that situation, you're you're on the run, you're living off the land, and you don't know who to trust. As I mentioned in the story, people would be willing to cash in on the situation and sell you out to the invaders. Uh, This became increasingly complicated as the centuries wore on, and traders and bodyguards uh, sort of set up business right in the mountains, and their living depended on moving back and forth between Cilicia and Cappadocia. And so, rather like on the Walking Dead, bumping into a stranger on the road could end up being deadly. You really didn't know who to trust unless you knew them personally. And that sort of apocalyptic landscape might only exist in a very small pocket of territory for a month or more during the campaign season, but it's it's a really interesting thought about how, how hard and how scary and how Uh, dramatic the lives of people living in that part of the empire could be. Anyway, join me next time as I answer your questions about tactics and cavalry and we take a look over the border at the Arab side of this way of life.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 